Welcome to the podcast. Today's podcast brought to you again by Chef Notepad, the tool you must have if you're a chef to do all your food costing menu storage. It is amazing. Check that out on Instagram, Chef Notepad. But today we've got a really interesting chat with Jake Nicholson. He's really a good bloke. He runs 11 restaurants, including some of the best in Brisbane, Blackbird and Donna Chang. Amazing food, amazing life he has lived. He has this beautiful baby who is the cutest thing ever. He has an amazing wife, an amazing team that works around him all the time who he really, really respects. Worked in some of the best places in Australia, worked in some of the best places all over the world. So listen, check it out, enjoy. Okay, Jake Nicholson, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being a part of this. I know you're a super busy guy. It's all right. Thanks very much for having me. So, Jake, you've got a you've got a lot to do in Brisbane. You're running five restaurants, is it? Yeah. Well, I think we've got ten venues, and we're about to open another one. Oh my god! Next week. So, yeah, ten ten venues, um, but across two states. So we've got a couple of businesses in in Melbourne as well, and. And the rest of them are up here. Tell me who they are again. For the people who don't know, I know a lot of chefs listen to this, but we've got lots of people all over so the place. So our flagship restaurant is Blackbird Bar and Grill. Um, the baby of the company is Biblos Bar and Restaurant, which is at Hamilton. And we also have one in um, in South Wharf in Melbourne. And then we have Donna Chang, of course, where we are now. Yeah. And we have Lord of the Wings. So we have the rights to Lord of the Wings Australia. So... Um, we have two venues. We had three, but we just recently closed one down in Rabina. Um, Blackbird has a private dining and events, and next week we'll have the Izakaya. So that's going to be in Boom Boom Room, which is now transforming into that. That's right next door here. Yeah, it's yeah, just just below us. There's no beaming sign outside of Donna Chang, is there? So we're on the corner of where are we? George and Elizabeth Street. George and Elizabeth. Yeah, just across from the casino. That's Tell me about each of these places before we delve back into some of your amazing history, but. Tell me about Donna Chang. What's, what's amazing about Donna Chang's? So I guess obviously we're in a heritage sort of listed building, so built in the 1920s. Um, Donna Chang really um, gets its name from an episode of Seinfeld. So um, the, the directors, Nami and Adonis, are big fans of Seinfeld episodes. So that's where one of the, the, um, the ladies on that sort of passes herself off as a Chinese, I think like a herbalist or a, a masseur or something like that. And... So in the end of the story, she's really not Chinese at all. So we thought that was a bit of a good play on words because, um, you know, we're a group of sort of like Western white, guys. White opening blokes. A, yeah, <laughs> white blokes opening a Chinese restaurant. So um, the beauty about this restaurant really for us is like the use of the um, sort of local and tropical ingredients. Um, we feel that it's a restaurant that it's not really like any other in, in Australia because... Uh, one, because of our, you know, beautiful climate and our, um, the way of dining as well. We sort of like to dine in big groups and in Queensland, I think we celebrate a lot when we come out for, for dinner. So um, we have the wood fire grill, of course, we had a wood fire oven, um, things like the duck humidifying cabinets and things like that. So all of that's on display and um, Brisbane or Queensland really loves a sort of a, a theatrical side of the dining scene and, and being on the corner of George and um, Elizabeth Street, this is exactly what we're after. So, wow. yeah, pro- it speaks produce. Um, you know, we really love what we do and, yeah, it's all about celebration. So, yeah, yeah that, that's beautiful. what Donna Chang is, really. What about Blackbird, the the flagship, the big mothership that overlooks a beautiful bridge? Yep. 
Yeah, so Blackbird really was um, sort of, it wasn't the first restaurant in the group because, of course, the Gunham Group's been around for, you know, over 20 years, really. It's a family-owned business. So, you know, the, the mum and dad, um, Antoine and Adrian, of course, started the Gunham Group, you know, many years ago where they had a restaurant on South Bank, so probably exactly where Stokehouse is now. So they had down there, uh, that restaurant was called Shea Layla and um, they had another one named after the sun. So um, that was Shea um, Ad- Adonis as well. So um, when I first came up here, I worked in a restaurant called Fifth Element, which was part of the Gannam Group, which was on South Bank. And within sort of 12 months, we closed that down to focus on Blackbird Barn Grill, which is on Eagle Street here, just hanging over the water there, looking at the Story Bridge. Um, and so that particular space was actually empty for two years. So believe it or not, Eagle Street was um, really not the place to be. Like it's, I think it's it's called like the um, Golden Triangle for the financial district area. But yeah. um, the restaurant scene wasn't really flourishing and most people were really heading to the valley through the weekends to sort of go out and things. So our job really was to try and bring people from the valley and have them sort of, you know, dining out in the city a bit more on the weekends. And so a couple of years into it and, um, well, as soon as we opened the doors at Blackbirds, we, we were sort of, you know, blown away with how busy it was. And from then on there, um, you know, the, the rest is history really. It's been very successful. It's, it's based on seafood and, and meat. Um, we have a huge Inferno 96 grill that's built in America, so... I remember when you set up and you showed me that. Yeah, so that was like craned in and, and came in through the windows. So the, the kitchen was really built around that, um, that grill and, and it was open. So I always liken it to, um, I guess when I was at Circa back sort of like 2006 to 2010, I was there for seven years, so I can't really do the maths because <laughs> I'm a chef, but... Um, <laughs> 2003 or something to 2010. Um, so I always sort of looked down at the Stokehouse, which is in St Kilda there, and I always thought, well, I'd love to be able to do the Circa food, but have the location of Stokehouse. So, you know, there was obviously overlooking the water on the on the beach and everything. And when the opportunity came up for Blackbird, when I saw that, you know, this was a, a restaurant that was overhanging the water and, um, you know, that kind of sort of made me move up here and and yeah and go for it so so where did you do your apprenticeship uh i did three years of my apprenticeship at lake house in dalesford that's right yeah yeah so with ella yeah yeah she's great she was on a couple of panels with me at the yeah food and wine festival so ella um i sort of call her my culinary mother and um she's probably heard that one before but she was still in the kitchen actually when i was i was probably the last apprentice she ever put through that kitchen with her in there um, so, I mean, the good parts about that really was, you know, you get a sort of a nice back rub every now and then when you seem a bit down and she, um, you know, would certainly take us under her wing and teach us everything about, you know, local ingredients and seasonality way before people were sort of harping on that. So, um, you know, it was a, oh, I was very, very lucky because I, you know, came from a little country town called Wannable at the end of the Great Ocean Road. and Beautiful place. Yeah, beautiful. It, it's, it's windy enough. And um, I guess I thought I was working in the best restaurant in Wannable and, you know, our top dishes were um, calamari rings and wedges with sour cream and, you know, <laughs> the herb and garlic bread and the, the amazing sort of fried seafood platters. And so to me, that was the best that food could possibly be. And luckily enough, that chef, Paul Amarant, had um, 
worked with the Rue brothers internationally and wow. sort of started showing me some photos. And, you know, he sort of said, you know, why don't you move out and move, move to Dalesford or, or move anywhere, you know, move overseas. And I began to sort of understand what the possibilities of the industry was um, out there. And, um, yeah, a job came up for Lake House and at 18 years old I sort of trucked off and moved out of home and, um, yeah, sort of started working at Lake House and then from then on there I, um, you know, just took it a bit further and, yeah, I had a great time. I couldn't believe that hospitality really could um, inspire me that much because when I walked into a place like Lake House, I just couldn't believe that this was the capabilities of a restaurant and this is how, you know, you could make people feel through food and so... That was my career. That's it, isn't it? That's right there. <laughs> what you can make people feel through food. Yeah, that's yeah. that's really where it all started. So, so then you yeah. did you duck off overseas after that? Like, yeah. So um, when I um, qualified in two thousand, um, I just turned just about to turn twenty one. I went to another small luxury of the hotel, small luxury hotels of the world, which was called The Vineyard at Stockcross. So it was in Berkshire in, in London. And that kitchen was the second best equipped kitchen in Europe. So how do you get that? For the young punters coming through now, obviously no one's going anywhere, but yeah, like how, do you, how do you get that gig? You just write them a letter? Um, I, well, obviously I was lucky enough really to have Allah who steered me in that direction because Lake House was a small luxury hotel of the world. So whilst we sort of had the drive to move overseas, we always sort of approached Allah and, and said, what what could we do and where could this take us? Because, of course, you know, we, we could have been anywhere. We could have went to America. We could have went to England. Um, and at that stage, she suggested that we go to this place and where we started applying for, for different positions and, um, and away we went. But, I mean, I guess that if anyone does have a little bit of drive and a little bit of, you know, passion or just even want to, you know, see how that far they can take, their career if it's cooking or if it's anything else it's just a matter of having a go i mean you know when we left the vineyard um when i left the vineyard my visa had sort of expired and i literally um grabbed the michelin guide and went from the three michelin star restaurants and literally went down them and you know i was at like the gavroche and the tonclair and each of those restaurants i turned up at the back door and said oh I'm, you know jake from uh Wannable and I'm, I'm here to work and you know, they do a, would do a really good herb bread. Yeah, yeah, do a really good herb bread, good calamari rings. But funnily enough, um, some of the restaurants, like I remember uh, Le Ton Claire, for example, they just kind of said, um, oh, well, I'm sorry, but the, the chef only speaks French. And then I thought, oh, that, I didn't really expect to encounter that. So, um, you know, I couldn't work at that restaurant because they spoke French. But when I got down to um, the square, I walked in the back door and, you know, met my now good friend Brett Graham from the Ledbury and he was the junior sous chef at the time and they sort of said, do you want to do a stage? And I was like, what's a stage? <laughs> <laughs> work for free, man. Yeah, work for free. And um, yeah, so yeah, landed a job there at the square. And So what did they, did a little bit of work for free and then they sort of said, okay, you're good enough, get in here. Well, um, they didn't hire me at the time. The first couple of days I turned up and um, on the third day, I mean, I just kept turning up. I just kept on turning up and... I went and asked Philip Howard if I could, you know, get a job in the kitchen and he said, oh, have you, have you tried anywhere else? And I said, no, this is exactly where I want to work and, you know, I'm just going to keep on coming in until you put me on the roster. And he sort of leant back on his chair and said, all right, 
all right, Jake, you're on the roster then. And um, yeah, that's it. Fought my way in and yeah, spent another 18 months there at the square and yep, another huge steep learning curve there. And um, before that, and then I flew back home and I went back to the lake house again as the sous chef after that. Yeah. Were you in Spain? I did. I went to, um, I won a competition, um, I think it was in 2003. Um, Actually, people were judging that were Andrew McConnell and Matt Preston and Shannon Bennett. Um, John Lethleen, I believe, was a judge for that. And that was called the Borges de Fran Adria Scholarship. So um, we had a cooking competition. Strangely enough, it was at Circa. Um, I wasn't working at Circa there until many years later. And um, yeah, I came out on top, and that award was to spend eight weeks in um, in Spain at El Bulli. So that wow. was then rated the number one restaurant in the world. Um, and so I was, you know, one chef of thirty six chefs at that time. So that was a yeah pretty eye opening experience, and yeah, one I sort of will always have good memories about. And you know, so, so it looks great on your resume. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It does look good on the resume. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It does stand out. When I did a little bit of searching on yours, it's like, wow, yeah. you know, well, that, that does stand out. Yeah, I mean, when you think of people who have worked at El Bulli, you kind of, you know, think of, you know, these these top chefs and places like, you know, Noma and, um, I don't know, people like um, the guys at Bray and things like that. And so mm-hmm. when you think about, you know, a bloke coming up from the country that's, you know, done a little bit of time at El Bulli, I'm not probably the kind of stereotype guy that you think has spent time in there but you know I certainly have and and like I always say out of any kitchen you work in you always get you know even if you learn two or three things or one thing it's it's been worthwhile and I certainly did learn a lot when I was there what's the what's the what's your skill man what's your skill is it people or is it food like what what do you think you do better um well I was as an apprentice I was sort of one of those cooks who took a long time to do prep like I don't like prep like I'm Superman or anything like that. I take a lot of time to get things right, um, work on my knife skills and just take a lot of pride in, you know, the end product. So um, I'm sort of, I I absolutely love produce and I love working with producers and farmers and things like that, understanding, like I grew up on a farm too. So I'm on a dairy farm in in country Victoria as well. Um, So all of that, side of things to me is really appealing and really of interest to me um, but also people and you know making sure that people are achieving and um, you know have really found hospitality as a rewarding career I think that I was very lucky to have people like Allah and even people like my mum and some of the chefs that I've worked for along the way like Philip Howard and Brett Graham and things like that they've always been really good mentors to me um, and I really feel that, you know, that's something that I need to give back to the industry. And so it's sort of my uh, role to make sure that people um, achieve the most they can out of their, their careers. So I look after people. Like, I just find that being in the kitchen in a day-to-day basis, it's about having a good time. And, um, you know, when everyone's having a good time in the kitchen, you really feel that the food starts to sing and you know you hit a rhythm like it's Mm. like if you're in a a good football team or anything and you're having a good time and everyone's sort of working together to achieve the same thing then you're going to really um you know become a premiership team and that's really my goal every time trust in all your partners trust in the team yeah 
Yeah. So you said produce. Now you're obviously a, um, a massive produce band, and um, I was talking to Peter yesterday from Fruit Forest Farm. Said to say hello. The yep. Delicious crew up there filming. Oh, perfect. G'day, Peter. <laughs> um, he, he will be listening once he learns how to listen to a podcast. Um, yeah. So produce. You absolutely love produce. Uh, everything that I know about you is is that you happen to be the delicious produce uh, judge as yep. well, and. Um, Tell me about your use of that seasonal stuff, like Pete's beautiful stuff, you know, some of the stuff that's on the Delicious Produce Awards. Yep. Talk to me about some of those beautiful products. So I am very lucky to be a judge for the Delicious Produce Awards and and not just that, also I'm a judge for the R&A, like the Beef yeah. um, Awards. So With Laurie and yeah, I get Anushka. To, <laughs> yeah, so um, I mean it seems like a bit of a tough job to test all these, you know, top quality Wagyu's and grass and grain fed beef but uh, what it does it is it really opens my eyes to, you know, what is out there and what, what's available and I think seasonality for me, you know, it, it's, a, it's a massive thing and being able to understand what's the best produce, um, you know, at the time to use. I think like as a young chef, you know, you quickly learn that you know, rosemary grows with lamb and that, you know, beef and mushrooms go together. But it does take a little while before you start sort of realising that, you know, broad beans are a spring thing and peas and that sort of thing. And, you know, the, the tomatoes start to come on now towards summer and that sort of thing. And um, when I do the Delicious Produce Awards, I'm kind of blown away every year by some of the amazing stuff that gets presented to us. And, the tropical fruit and, and Peter's stuff, you know, at Fruit Forest Farm, like, you know, it's it's a new experience for us because every year I can see things that I just didn't even know about and I'm personally learning as well. Um, and at the same time, I get to highlight these producers that are, you know, have worked day in, day out and, you know, they battle away on their farms and, you know, on their fishing boats or um, in their dairies to produce some amazing stuff that, you know, often gets sort of left unturned. So, you know, I, I find that part of it really, really rewarding. Um, and, you know, even if people just sell me, um, you know, some shishito peppers and some um, tomatoes and heirloom tomatoes and things like that, just to see their faces about how you're using that product and, you know, putting it on your menu, like, you know, it, it really um, keeps them inspired and it keeps our chefs um, inspired too because um, you can just see the passion and the hard work that's gone into every ingredient and the customers just they can taste it for sure. I believe that as well and it's part of why I've started to do this because there's a connection between like I get to talk to lots of farmers and then I get to talk to lots of chefs and I can sort of see the whole train but I'm just like hey but if you knew Jake you know the passion that he's doing with this and rah rah yeah and, you know, it is, um, it's lovely that more and more we get to, you know, talk. And yeah. I think talking is one of the better things to do because we do a lot of photos and sometimes we're not quite, you know, yeah. real. But um, yeah. I, I like this and it's a, it's a good uh, way to be able to be thankful and say thank you to a lot of these amazing growers. For sure. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, I think, like with the Delicious Produce Awards as well, um, you know, being able to, see the new things every year um, and also sort of celebrate, you know, what they've been doing. Um, Like, it really does help my menus a lot, but all of the people who win or even the people who enter, um, maybe they don't go home with a gold medal, but it is also very, like, inspiring for those people and, 
and I hope that our menus kind of really showcase that produce sort of, you know, day in, day out and also the seasonality of things and people and the customers that come in should really start to understand about seasons and, um, you know, the challenges that specific producers are faced with um, getting some of that food on the table. Tell me about some of the other awards that you have won. Um, let me think. Something in Venice? Um, San Pellegrino. I did. <laughs> I, I went in the um, – so part of that – I won the 2008, I think, Appetite for Excellence, the Young Chef of the Year. So that was a national award for Australia. Um, and going on from that, I represented Venice in the San Pellegrino, the Cooking World Cup. You represented Venice? I represented Australia. <laughs> in Venice, right? Yeah. In Venice. So <laughs> yeah. actually um, there were chefs from all around the world on there and it was it's a combination of a boat race and a cooking competition. Right. So you – it was so long ago actually, I'm just trying to remember it. <laughs> <laughs> I do – I remember it very well because my um, employers, Lisa and John Van Handel, were actually on that boat with me and I think, um, yeah, it was um, – Luckily, it wasn't too rough that day, but I remember that you cook in the galley. You basically had to present a dish, and I thought that, you know, doing something that was um, sort of Italian-type based would be a good idea, and um, you had to match it with sparkling or still water. So I remember that day I cooked, um, it was soft white polenta with um, John Dory and a salad of parsley, pine nuts and currants with a little bit of, like, masala reduction. I remember, and I placed third in that, so that was third in the world. Um, yeah. Wow. So that wasn't, yeah, not, not too bad. I think I got beaten by the South African that year, so. <laughs> <laughs> right. So you were nervous about doing a podcast, but you're not so nervous about cooking for uh, amazing people and all these competitions. You've, I, I really just Googled you and uh, got these little like, other interesting facts, but I think they're worth, you know, you've cooked for some pretty famous people. Does that mean anything? Yeah, I mean... I guess, yeah, that's another sort of part of my career that um, I guess I feel like I'm getting a bit old now. Like, <laughs> um, But, it, you know, at, at places like the Square and stuff in London, we always had famous people and things come in there. So I think we had like Robbie Williams and people like Madonna and stuff would come in. And um, I think um, even at Al Bully, I mean, there was always whispers of, you know, that Jennifer Aniston's in for dinner and things like that. And... Mm. You kind of hear about it, but then you just head head is down on the stoves and things. And um, I remember it sort of, you know, it was a kind of a feather in the cap and that at the time. But yeah, um, yeah it's always nice to cook for people who um, are recognised. But for me, every customer really is, you know, should be treated the same and equally, I guess. Right now, who do you look up to? Um, right now, I look up to... Yeah, my my um my peers really, um my friends really that are, are close by me and all of my head chefs and stuff that work with me. So, um, look, I I really respect all the producers and stuff that I work really closely with, um and and my friends that, um you know are head chefs in various countries around the world and. That's a beautiful answer, by the way. That is a really good answer. Like some <laughs> people, they they tend to get a little bit you know off that one, but yeah. Um, Another quick question for you. Where is the a, a grubby, lovely thing that you love to just go and eat, whether it be some, you know, lamb kebab or something? Is there some sort of uh, little yeah. indulgence that you have? Yeah. Well, I 
<laughs> we do like to have. I like to go to sushi train, to be honest, <laughs> but, because I have a three, a four-year-old daughter now. That is gorgeous, yeah, by the way. Yeah, and, and her name's Alba. Um, some people might not know, but she's named after the the wine Barolo from uh, Alba in Italy, and and also my best dish or my fa- most um, famous dish I like to cook is the white truffle risotto, of course, there from Alba in Italy. So um, that's what she was named after, and she's you know a, a blonde-haired little blue-eyed monster as well so I mean we just try and feed her anything and last night she ate some uh, spaghetti bolognese for the first time um four years old spaghetti bolognese. four years old and uh so yeah we sort of found that um she enjoys sushi train and all the colors going past on the train so it's a bit of a trick as well and it, it sort of helps us get out and and try out some new things anyway so yeah there's that that we like to eat yeah right what other antics happen in the kitchen that you can't tell us about? Um, well, it's always going on. It's, um, <laughs> I think something I can't tell you about is the broom handle that someone stuck in someone's mouth last week. <laughs> so, um, I mean, you know, kitchens are just one of those things where people are just, it, they're like, I call them stainless steel prisons. And, um, you know, every prisoner in there, including myself, is always up to something that, you know, they're either entertaining each other or, you know, their best mates one minute and the next minute they're like arguing and things like that. So, um, yeah, I think, look, you know, there, there's a time and a place for that kind of carry on as well. But also, you know, the mental health of the staff and the well-being of each team member is very, very important to me. Um, and so whilst we don't mind having a bit of mucking around and and joking i just always try and make sure that you know people do understand where each individual comes from and um i guess different chefs probably have different goals and things in kitchens like not everyone has the ambitions to go and work in london or america or Mm. these sort of places so it's important to make sure that um you understand what people are doing in in the kitchen and um trying to get the most out of them by looking after people and yeah so that is really not, you're, you're you're just ticking every box. No wonder you're good at what you do. Hey, um, what's the best thing that's come out of COVID for you? I think that we've been able to really assess what our costings and things have been. Um, we've been able to look after the producers that are um, the smaller producers, I guess, that we've been working with for quite a while. Um, I think that we've really taken our time to make sure that the businesses are running, I guess, as tight as they possibly can. Um, I think, you know, one of the real weird things about COVID was just the dynamics of the kitchen because, you know, obviously the highest paid chefs on this JobKeeper type thing were working the absolute least. Um, And I just realised that um, it wasn't really going to go down like that. So I have really been working as hard as I've ever worked in my career through COVID. Um, and I just feel like that it's made us a bit closer as a team because we've been fighting, you know, we've all been in the trenches together and mm. we're coming out of it now. And I think that um, that has probably solidified us as a group. And, um, you know, the industry is constantly fighting um, to get on top of anything, whether it be, you know, floods and, you know, rising costs of produce and, you know, then this virus that we're fighting that we can't see. so there's always going to be a challenge and I think that it just has unified that the hospitality industry is always ready to fight. How do you stay on top of your food costs? Well, 
I think that the main thing is is controlling wastage, of course, um, making sure that you're utilising every ingredient and getting the most out of every ingredient. And again, seasonality is a key word. You know, you don't want to be buying um, imported cherries at the wrong time of the year or using out-of-season tomatoes. So, you know, whilst the food is tasting um, in its peak condition, it's also probably costing a lot less. So now you can see that the white asparagus and the asparagus is starting. Buy it now while it's in Australia and less so when it's coming from Mexico, I guess, is probably a good one. But it is, and not everyone wants to hear it, that there's a lot of administration, a lot of number crunching when it comes to maintaining your food costs. So you have to really understand, you know, what what prices you're charging for food, how much wastage you're getting, what size portions and that sort of thing you are. So there is a boring side of um, cooking that is not so glamorous that you don't really see on MasterChef, I guess, but... Mm. You definitely um, don't see it on MasterChef. You definitely... <laughs> don't, and I don't think that would last very long if it was <laughs> yeah, all about yeah. numbers and, and yeah. being an accountant. But, um, like, I do my fair share of um, number crunching and uh, as much as I try to procrastinate and hide in the kitchen and, and cook lovely white truffle risottos and things, there's a certain element of number crunching that has to be done. So is it white truffle in Australia or is that imported? That's imported, yeah, yeah. of course. Summertime, yeah, because Deb, I think Debbie gave me one for Christmas. Yeah. yeah. Oh, lucky you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's about to start, I think. So uh, okay. September, October, yeah, yeah. they start creeping in. So I don't know what's going to happen with um, the flights and COVID and prices. But look, they've some of them come from places like Croatia, but the traditional and the very very best ones come from Alba in Italy so you can expect to pay anywhere and I've paid up to $10,000 a kilo for those um, which is easy to do when it's not your own money (laughs) (laughs) I shouldn't say that Um, but look it's um, you know it's it's one of the most best and high quality exotic ingredients you can probably use out there I think and um, yeah it's it's if you can have it taste of it during those seasons then by all means go for it just so it's spring what's the best dish on at donna chang right now spring well i guess donna chang we've just relaunched a new menu at the moment that's really focusing a lot around the wood oven and the the wood grill um so we're seeing lots of beautiful things get caught like octopus and that are in sort of season now um baby calamari and the squid and that which is done like on the barbecue um so yeah we've also got some beautiful like oraking salmon dishes and stuff like that so oysters are fantastic this time of the year um got to try the roast duck and the dim sum is to die for okay we'll have one of everything before we go. <laughs> um what about at blackbird what's 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 cracking over there what's your favorite thing that you just love over there um well i really like the the giant queensland groper we like to use a lot of native australian ingredients and stuff over there so um we have an awesome dish over there with um it's like a a butterfly giant queensland groper with desert limes um pepper berries and, and curry leaves um and then obviously the tomatoes are really singing at the moment there's a beautiful like locally made uh, Barada from La Casa oh, yeah. Mota, yeah, yeah. Um, which is amazing. We don't fiddle around with the food too much over there. I mean, it takes a lot of work, but it doesn't look too fiddly. Mm. <laughs> um, so it's, you know, seasonal produce, just, you know, unadulterated and just beautiful flavours. So it is, it's such a, a easy thing to say almost, but it's so true as well. Like I, I beat myself head against the wall many times when I see what people order. I just go, why are you doing that? Now? Yeah. 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 I, 
Yeah, I think what you're doing in your attachment with growers and lots of different producers is a, is a great advice or at least have someone who can get you that information. Like yeah, that. yep. I mean, it's, it's important to always, you know, keep the menu fresh but also have some element of accessibility. So, I mean, we have a lamb shorter on the menu over there that's been on there since the very opening and we also serve French fries on the – or shoestring fries on the menu and so, you know, people kind of think, well, why – you're in a, a fine dining restaurant, why are you serving French fries? And the answer is because not everybody is out to eat a fancy fine dining, high quality restaurant meal. You can still have high quality when you're just eating a Scotch fillet steak and having a pint of beer and a bowl of French fries. Um, but if you also have options on there, you know, you have your goose liver parfait with quandongs and toasted brioche and a little degustation menu um, with some beautiful seasonal ingredients like you know, asparagus, broad beans, the peas, morels are in season now, so they're on over there. So that's going to get those people in and keep them happy. So variety, accessibility, seasonality, and um, great service and, and friends and wine. Perfect. Mate, it's actually a real pleasure to catch up with you again, and I can see why you are a Delicious Produce Award judge and you're well-deserving of that and the, the beef thing and, and all your success and your beautiful family mate you're, 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 a, you're a textbook good bloke and uh, I'm proud to know you and uh, I thank you for spending the time with me today and telling people your story um, thank you thank you thank you no worries thanks for coming <laughs> in good to see you yeah, you too man <laughs> Dunsky <laughs>